listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hopson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 67 of Sticks in the Six. Yeah, that's right, boys. It's the cursed episode 67. It's the same comment we get on basically every article that we write for the hockey writers. It's the same thing we hear on Twitter all the time. 67 Maple Leafs just don't go well together right now. But uh, we're here another week and another week in the books. Again, the Leafs not playing too, too much. But before we get to that, Peter, how's it going this week? Trapped and isolated under like 40 centimeters of snow. And holy crap, man. Like I, I've seen snowfalls, but this one just took the cake. Like I remember back when I was in elementary school, we had a snowstorm and they had to call in the army or military because of that one time. And looking back in comparison right now, this probably should have been the time to do that because there was like so many people stuck, accidents and everything. And I'm just like, man. What happened in the 90s in comparison to this, is just, it just blows it out of the water. Um, but I'm doing good. You know, can't complain. Um, I will say this. I During the Maple Leaf game, I know it was pretty frustrating for everyone watching them get that lead, lose it in the third period. But I want to credit one band in particular because after they scored the 5-4 goal, the go-ahead goal, I turned on my music and I was just listening to Parkway Drive nonstop. And throughout that whole entire third period, I was just like, you know what? This has happened before where I played an artist on loop nonstop and good things happen for the Leafs. What happens? Matthews ties it up and then McKayev gets the game winner. So shout out to Parkway Drive. Great Aussie band. Amazing. I don't know if they're Leaf fans or not, if they even like hockey, but you know what? Shout out to them for giving the Maple Leafs a boost that game. Peter, where were you during game seven this year? Oh, this year? If good, if, oh. If, if good things happen when you play Parkway Drive, where, where, where were you during game seven? Uh, I was watching on Zoom with my buddies, and I was crying. Uh, I understand. I, maybe, I should have put, maybe I should have put Parkway Drive on then, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to keep the good train going, and if there's a situation that's dicey, Parkway Drive's coming up, man. Now you know what to do this year. Absolutely. I think between that and Mike Comito's take about how the Leafs are finally going to advance past the first round, I think this year's finally the year, boys. Hey, I'm, I'm holding on to that uh, that quote. I'm holding on for dear life. I'm going to play it the second they win and go on to the second round. I'm playing that quote uh, as many times as possible. But, uh, Alex, are you trapped out your way as well? Yeah, I'm trapped for a couple of reasons, though. So, obviously, I'm trapped in because of the storm. Um, I think it hit everybody uh, pretty, pretty equally hard if you're living in Ontario. But uh, at the same time, uh, COVID's going on a bit of a rampage through my house right now. Um, oh. I, have, I have not tested positive yet. I've tested negative uh, two days in a row now, but my mom and brother both have it. And uh, it seemed to escape my dad and I right now. So hoping for good fortunes here. But uh, yeah, it's been, we've been laying low a little bit this week. And I do have a story I want to tell you from over the weekend. But just to clarify, this is before any of the positive tests. Um, so you guys know about my ball hockey chronicles, obviously, and just a quick little story from this past, uh, this past weekend's game. So um, we had a turnout of about seven guys. I want to say, so that's about par for the course for, for a game, you know, <laughs> two subs. Bridge. And uh, yeah, so the lungs were going through it. And my one buddy, my roommate, Mitch, he's playing defense for us in the game. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, this injury made me cringe 
more than anybody else's injury has ever made me cringe before. Mitch is in front of the net. He's playing defense. This guy from the point takes a massive slap shot and hits Mitch square in the balls. Like he wasn't wearing a cup or anything like this was a full on like clap bomb contact made square just like that. And it was so bad. This guy swore. He said, fuck. And then he gets up and he, he hobbles and makes his way over to the bench. And at the whistle, which was a couple minutes later, the guy fainted on the bench. That's how bad it was. Oh my Dude, God. Let me tell you, I was so worried because I'm, 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 I was on the floor at the time and I called his name like five times asking how he was doing. And each time he's just kind of staring into space. Not be like, he just didn't respond to me. He's staring into the space. I kind of see him swaying back and forth. And I just watch him slump over onto the bench beside him. And I freaked out. I was like, I had to go let the ref know to like blow the whistle. Cause I, I wasn't sure what the hell was going on with this guy. But then he just pops right back up and goes, yeah, yeah, I'm good. What's, what's going on? So oh my God. For, what it's worth, for what it's worth, I'm sorry to put you guys through that thought, but for what it's worth, the guy only missed two shifts and he came out and finished the rest of the game. <laughs> Jesus, that's, what a that's hockey. That's hockey, baby. Yeah, no um, cup, no nothing. Nope, we're into the balls. Nope, like those hard just... orange balls. The hard oh orange my balls, God, man. Yeah, that and that's a, and that's the same, like you know, like happiness as a puck, right? Mm-hmm. Like similar to the same way. Ah, man. Yeah, I. Mm, what? Yeah, I'm. I'm telling you, we, like, we should give him a special shout out right now. Like yeah. Mitchell Sullivan, God. defenseman on French and Friday. Where's number thirty six for Jack Campbell? So there you go. There, there you go. go. <laughs> He's a beauty. <laughs> Look, I but before before I was even old enough to understand like like the severity of of shots to the balls. Um, I, I my dad always told me the story about like a guy he knew growing up that got kicked in the balls and died, and I was like, so every time what? I yeah, every time <laughs> I hear this story, I'm just like, I can't. I like I I. I cringe every time somebody talks about like a ball injury. I got smoked once in like, in like middle school with a lunch bag, right? The nuts. And I was down in a fucking heap for like, for like 20 minutes. I couldn't walk. I couldn't get up. I felt sick. You know that, you know, that pain wrenching, you know, that pain wrenching feeling in your gut. It's painful. Like I'm going to puke. The worst part about it is that it, it, it doesn't even have to be like blunt force. It can literally just be a simple flick. Yeah. Something just ever so barely touches it. And all of a sudden it goes, the pain goes right to your stomach and you feel sick for the next 15 Mm -hmm. minutes. It's almost like you feel it up in your throat and you're just going to puke them out into your own fucking hand. It's awful. It's awful. (laughs) That's why, that's why my face goes so red when you talk, when you were saying that story. Cause I'm like, I could just feel it. I could feel it. Yeah, uh, I felt I, I felt this pain. I felt this pain literally, despite Mitch, you telling that Mitch, story. Get get some get some peas and put that on there for a week, buddy, because like that pain doesn't <laughs> just go away. That doesn't just go away. Yeah. No, he was. I'm like I said. I'm surprised that he even finished the game because I probably had the best view of this whole thing going down. Like I watched it all happen, and I almost had to sit out the rest of the game from secondhand pain. We'll put it that way. Jesus. I was looking at him. I was like, I don't even know if I can finish this game. It was That's brutal. unbearable. Like I, I, I've had like pucks to the like you know, like I've had like I blocked shots there. But I again, I've had the cup on and I still felt it. Oh, it's like that. that no cup tangling. with this. Yeah. Jesus, man, come on. Yeah. That's, <sighs> and he's telling me the best part is that he's telling. Or I'm driving him home after the game, and like he's like, man, I, I get don't about know it. If he could notice because he. This is like this is also I'll mention. This is like his third game 
with the team. So he's pretty new to the, he's pretty new to the team. And he's like, he had never really played organized hockey before. He's pretty good at it, but like, basically it's not like this is something he's ever really gone through before. Mm-hmm. And so we're, I'm driving him back and he's just like, yeah, man, I don't know if you could tell, but like, I was kind of playing a little bit timid after that. Like I wasn't really, I was kind of worried about blocking shots. I was like, well, no shit. Like, <laughs> uh, you, you got hit in the ball so hard that you fainted. Jesus. I don't even know if I would have finished the game to begin with. I mean, like, I wouldn't uh, have, I wouldn't have gone in any lane whatsoever to block a shot. I would, I would have turtled. I would have turned my back against it. I would have done like the whole, William Nylander circa first year in the NHL trying to block a shot kind of thing. That's what I would have done. I like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even hesitate to do that. No, I didn't enjoy watching that. And I can't imagine he enjoyed feeling it. Uh, Well, shout out to Mitch. Mitch. Yeah. And shout out to the Hobson family. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it doesn't hit you guys Mm -hmm. uh, that hard and, and, and you get it over, get over it pretty quickly. I, I keep telling my my wife and I have the, the conversation about, you know, obviously with a little one who can't be vaccinated at home, it's it's always like we're yeah. trying to take that extra precaution. But I feel like it's just a matter of time until, you know, it's getting closer and closer every every day. So um, so hopefully you guys are doing well. Yeah, I mean, as of right now, my brother's basically just had, I mean, just to be full disclosure, like we're all, we all got both our vaccinations. Some of us have threes, so That's good. there's that. We got that going for us. My brother is, uh, um, he, he's pretty much just battling a bad cold and my mom is almost completely asymptomatic. So there's that. Silver lining there. That's, yeah. that's really yeah. great news. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. also vaccines work. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> vaccines do work. Who would have thought? Let's ask Michael Trakos what he thinks about that. Oh, God. No, I don't want to ask Michael Trakos' opinion on anything. I think oh, I'd just man. be better off uh, hearing his opinion on anything, hockey uh, or not. Yeah, no, no. It's uh, We'll keep him off the show. But, boys, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been another week of, uh, you know, lots of hockey going on. Again, post moments all over. We should be getting more information on the, on the postponement games being, re, uh, you know, made up down the road. Um, that's, that's supposed to be coming down from the NHL offices at some point very soon. Um, but, uh, before we get into more NHL news, let's, let's get right into the Leafs because the Leafs, we talk about how this is episode 67. One of the comments that all of us have seen over and over again is 1967, 1967. Well, another one that we're seeing a lot lately. And I had one, I, I I posted a, a tweet that, you know, Matthews is six goals away from being in the top 10 in franchise history. Um, he's also worth noting with his 25th goal, this is his sixth straight season to start his career with 25 goals. It's the first time in Leafs history that we've had somebody do that. Um, so again, setting franchise records all across the board. Now, one of the comments that were I got in response was, you know, he's going to Arizona, which is, it's the new 1967 look, Matthews is going to Arizona. Okay. Well, we've had that discussion. We've talked to, I think we talked to Mark Masters about that in the, in the season opener uh, for this, for this season of our show. And Mark Masters himself comes out with a quote from um, Matthews this week that I really, really enjoy playing in Toronto. I, I really believe in this team. I love the passion that the city brings Leafs nation and all that comes along with it. On top of that, this guy is like best friends with Justin Bieber right now. So I want to get your take, Alex, on, you know, this quote, is it just kind of a facade for, you know, kind of pushing the inevitable or is he legitimately a guy that we could see, 
be possibly the greatest leap when his career is done. So you said that <clears throat> Matthews loves being in Toronto and you mentioned that he's best friends with Justin Bieber. And I understand that the appeal to go home is a big one, but at the same time, anytime I kind of get, I find myself worrying, Oh shit, we might only have like two, three more years of Austin Matthews before he decides to get out of here for once and for all. I ask myself, do you think Austin Matthews would want to go play for an organization that cannot pay their $40,000 signing bonuses on time? Or an organization that might be kicked out of their arena pretty soon? And on the brink of relocation always? Houston, listen, maybe? <clears throat> listen, I've already sort of made a pact with myself that just because of how much sheer ripping into Islanders fans I've done over the past two years, if Austin Matthews, when his contract is up, he becomes a UFA, decides that he wants to go back to Arizona, play for the team that he grew up supporting, and go, essentially just try to grow the game in his home state, I would not hold any ill will towards him because I'd be going against everything that I advocated against when Islanders fans were ripping into John Tavares. You know, Tavares – he, I, I can see why that would have sour, left a sour taste in the mouths of Islanders fans. And um, I can see why they may have been, they may have felt led on because, you know, he was talking about how much he wanted to stay in Long Island throughout the season. And then he signs to Toronto in the off season. I get all that. I also understand that minds change and, you know, what are you going to tell the media, right? Like, what was, was he supposed to tell the, the, the Long Island media throughout that season? Ah, actually, yeah, I plan to just go to Toronto, like, right after the season's done, right? So, you know, I, the one exception I can always I can always sort of – or, sorry, like, the one situation I can always make an exception for is if he were to go home and play for his hometown team. If Matthews does, I won't hold any grudges against him, and you can put that on the record right now, January 18th. 9.48 p.m., Sticks in the Six podcast, episode 67. I will not hold any grudges against Austin Matthews if he decides to go home to play for Arizona, but I can't see that happening because he's the star of the show in Toronto, and you can tell based on his personality that as humble as he is, you can tell that he was built to be a star, and he knows he's a star, and I can't see – like, he's going to have the best position like that in Toronto, especially imagine if he's a part of the core that finally brings some success to this group. There's going to be streets named after him. There's going to be statues built of him. He is going to quite literally reshape the, the resume of an entire city when it comes to NHL hockey, if he can be the guy to lead him to the promised land. I just think that's too much to look away from for him. Peter, this is a club that has a long-winded history. Uh, we see it in the statues that stand outside of Scotiabank Arena. Alex just mentioned the possibility that if he stays – there could be one day a Austin Matthews in Legends Row. Um, do you see him going to Arizona? And if so, would you have any hard feelings towards Austin Matthews? I'm going to start off with the second question. I am not going to have any hard feelings. I mean, let's face it. If I was in the same situation like him, like who wouldn't want to go home and play for any hometown team? I mean, that's any kid's dream. No matter if you were born in Arizona, go to play in Toronto and then move back to try and play for that team. Now that situation is completely dicey. Alex just mentioned all the flaws with that team right now. They're going to be in the bottom for probably the next three, four years. They're going to be rebuilding quite a bit. All their prospects are either developing or it's going to take some time for them to come up. Is Austin Matthews going to jeopardize that a Stanley Cup right now with a possible Stanley Cup? Let me emphasize that. I'm not going to say they're going to win it right now, but he's in a better uh, position to win 
than if he leaves in the next year or two to sign long-term in Arizona. I, it doesn't quite make sense to me. But I won't be upset because, you know what, it, it's his, ultimately his decision. Yeah, it's going to sting. It's going to hurt. But I'm not going to, you know, show any ill will or throw snakes at him when he makes the return back to Toronto. I mean, it's ultimately his decision whether you like it or not. Um, yeah, that I mean, I, I, I could go on and on it, but I would just be repeating what Alex said. And you know what, just from that comment alone, it doesn't sound like a player that likes that wants to up and move out of Toronto right now. I mean, this is a guy who looks like he's committed in the long term. Obviously, there's still a few years remaining on his contract. Um, if they resign him, I think he's similar to like what happened with Morgan Riley. He has confidence in this group. And I would think that Austin Matthews has, is going to share the same mentality and same mindset that, you know, this team can get it done. And you know what? We're seeing with the records. We're seeing with how he vaulted himself in the Rocket Richard conversation already, despite being 10 plus goals back in November. And he's already, you know, up there one goal behind uh, Leon Dreisaitl and Alex Ovechkin. This is a guy that's an elite goal scorer. This is a guy who's a fan favorite in Toronto. This is a guy who gets all the glory and all the attention on him because he's that big of an impact player. I, I think he stays. And if he does go, you know, it is what it is. So be it. It's ultimately his decision. Yeah, no. I, and before I get into all that, I think it was, uh, I think it was, uh, Craig Button who said that uh, kind of took him out of the generational talent conversation and said that he's a superstar. I would argue that he is possibly a generational talent. I mean, you're talking about a guy who is a, an elite goal scorer, considering the time that he's missed, considering, you know, what he, what he has been battling last season with the, with the wrist. This is a guy who still won the rocket Richard last year could potentially do the same this year. And yeah, I mean, I'm kind of on the same boat. I'm not going to lie. I'd probably throw a full taxidermy coyote at him if he came back to Toronto after, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) But (laughs) I mean, I, I, let's not be, let's, where are you going to get your hands on a full taxidermy coyote? That's what I want to know. Look, I'm only in step one of this plan. plan. (laughs) But uh, look, I won't lie. I mean, I would be upset. I'd be upset that he left. But it wouldn't be upset at him. It'd be more upset at the fact that, you know, this is a guy that we got to watch. And and I'm not going to – like, there's a reason why I don't have an Austin Matthews jersey. It's – there's a little bit of a fear in me that he could one day want to go back. That said, Peter, you talked about the rebuild in uh, in Arizona. I mean, this is a team that's possibly shopping a 23-year-old defenseman. They're, they are in shambles. They have no idea what they're doing. Their yeah. draft picks, they're, they're, they're just slowly rebuilding that pipeline. There's no way that this team is going to be even remotely competitive within the next three to five years. Um, at that point, you're talking about a guy who's 29, you know, pushing, pushing the, the brink of his, his uh, you know, stardom um, at, at the NHL level. And again, does he really want to go to a team that, there's a poss- uh, there's a real possibility that one day this team will relocate, you know, and I, I'm, I'm saying that thinking that, you know, it'll happen when Gary Bettman leaves that office because Gary Bettman like put this team in Arizona and he's got a hard on for keeping this team in Arizona and he won't move it anytime soon, but that team needs to go because it's not, ha- it's not happening in Arizona. 
On top of that, I think the Leafs are doing everything they can to try and maintain, you know, the trust from Austin Matthews. And that includes bringing in another uh, Arizona-born player in Matthew Nyes. So that too, for me at least, plays a role because now you've got a guy who can relate. You've got a guy who grew up watching the Coyotes. You've got a guy who probably looks at Austin Matthews as a as a uh, mentor, idol. Um, as mm-hmm. an idol. Kind of a similar right? play style too between Exa- the two. Hundred percent. Oh, yeah. Big bodied. Um, Just one's on the wing. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. and and really he's developed so well this year, um, and we'll talk about him in a little bit, but. Yeah, I, I don't see Matthews going where if he does, I see him signing one more contract in Toronto first. That kind of takes him into his into his, you know, early thirties, maybe thirty-two, thirty-three, possibly, you know, possibly a long-term deal. But yeah, I mean, this is a guy who loves the spotlight. Uh, modest as he may be, he loves the spotlight. And that's you know, that's why he's walking into UFC events with Joe Thornton and uh and and Justin Bieber. I mean, there's a reason why this guy hangs around the people he hangs around. And if he's going to be the star in Toronto, the mecca of the hockey world, I mean, I, I can't see him ever deciding to leave that behind. One more um, quick point. I just want to add, you, you saw the game that he played against the Arizona Coyotes. Whether he leaves to go there or not, he's already had a significant impact on that franchise and the fans in Arizona. You saw every single move that he did. The crowd was ooing and eyeing at like even just the simplest deke and he shoots it wide. The fans is so awestruck. And when you see him, when you saw him score that beautiful toe drag uh, opposite corner, you saw him just go race to the crowd. You know, let me hear you because that's who he is. You know, that's his hometown. He wants to hear the fans. He's already made an impact. He's already made a mark in Arizona right now. So whether he goes there or not, it's already been done. Yeah, he's showtime. He's showtime. He loves to put on the show, and we've seen it in multiple cities. Chicago fans have been at him. You know, the Pat Kane thing where he was doing the, you know, can you hear me now? Um, you know, it's it just it, like he, he loves to be at the center of the, the hockey universe, and I think mm-hmm. that that alone would be a reason for him to stay in Toronto, especially if they can continue to build the pipeline that they have. Um, we talked a little bit about Matthew Nyes and, uh, obviously Matthew Nyes and, and Abruzis, uh, I don't know. I butchered that name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Abruzzese. Peter, Peter corrected me on Maple Leafs lounge. Abruzzese. That's the Italian in me. You know what I'm thinking? Abruzzi. Anybody watch prison break? John Abruzzi. Not. Uh, I never got into prison break. The early seasons were good. The late seasons were shit. It's like any show. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, two Olympians uh, going to Beijing with the U.S. Olympic team. I was fortunate enough to sit in on a Zoom call with, uh, you know, the University of Minnesota and Matthew Nyes. And um, I mean, we talk about confidence in Matthews. This kid is confident. This kid is is not full of himself. He's confident. He's He's got that little little bit of cockiness edge to him. And I loved it. So they they asked him about like, you know, whether he'd be, or, or, or did he have any, any sort of idea that he was going to make the Olympic team? And he said, yeah, you know what, when they, when I knew that the NHL players weren't going to go, I knew I had a pretty good shot. And that to me, I love that about this kid. I love that about this kid. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, Peter, I, I believe you tweeted out the, the Czech team or the Slovak team that's got uh, Simon Nemec on, on, on D like this is a great opportunity for these young guys. And 
you know, I was a little iffy about whether I was going to watch Olympic hockey with no NHLers. I am a hundred percent going to be watching Olympic hockey, knowing what, who some of these teams are, are bringing. I mean, even hell, Martin Marincin's going to the Olympics boys. Like there's, there's a, there's a leaf all-star. Um, but Peter, what do, what do you have to say about these two prospects heading over to Beijing? Um, I, I just want to say right now that um, out of all the teams that have released their Olympic rosters, I think the Czech Republic is the oldest with being 30 plus. Or I, I can't remember. There was a tweet online and I'm really bad at this. I really should. David Krejci, right? Yeah. They have David Krejci. David Krejci is on that team, but I, I really should give credit. But Team USA, Switzerland, Slovakia, all of them have players or an average age of 20 plus. Czech Republic is good, probably going to be the oldest one, maybe Russia as well, because they got some older guys there because of the KHL. But you know what? That team is already, you know, labeled for gold status already. But yeah, getting back to Matthew Nice and Abrusazi, I mean, Nice is just dominating the NCAA right now. You know, point per game player, lethal shot, great passer. You want a prototypical power forward in a player. I don't think you're going to get any closer to that type of player than Matthew Nyes because he has great strength, the awareness, the ability to open the game up. He, he just does everything so well on the ice. And I can't believe that he, I mean, it was great enough that the Maple Leafs got him in the second round, but obviously John Morrissey last week said that if the draft is to be redone right now, Matthew Nice could be a 15-20 pick. So the fact that you potentially got, if everything pans out and he continues to develop really well, you got a 15 to 20 overall pick in the later parts of the second round. That is an absolute steal if he continues to play. And I'm, I, I'm really excited to see what he can do because he looked great at the World Junior, whatever, how many games was done because of the postponements. I think, but I think they got sure. one game in. One game in, and he scored yeah. one goal off a really nice pass from Logan Cooley, and that was just a, basically a nice snipe show, just like we've seen with Austin Matthews. You know, There's that similarity where they both have a really deadly and le- lethal shot. And in regards to Abersezi, I mean, this is a, a player who missed out last season because of a mix of COVID, but he also, I believe he had a shoulder injury, and he needed surgery, or he had surgery. And was, missing- I think it was hip surgery. Hip surgery. Not that, it, not, that it, not that it really matters, but <clears throat> yeah. yeah. But but because of the lockouts, the surgery, he didn't get any games in no matter what. And he was working his way back to get back into the swing of things. And with 14 games with Harvard right now, he has 21 points. And his work ethic, his ability to make plays is just outstanding. And for a player that's 5'10", he plays, he plays a much bigger game. He has great ability to separate players with his size and with his ability to get into the inside lane and just be a real factor. So I don't know if they're going to be on the same line for a Team USA, but it would be nice. But I could I could just rest assured right now that both players are going to be really go really strong go to players for Team USA and they're going to have a significant impact, and it's just going to be entertaining as all hell at this point. Well, Peter, part of the conversation with Matthew Nyes was that you know obviously playing with Ben Myers uh, at the University of Minnesota, yeah. what he's been able to do, and and he he gave all the credit to Ben Myers in in terms of 
you know, bringing his game to the next level um, and making him into the player that he is. Nyes has 22 points in 22 games. Uh, ben Myers has nine goals and 24 points in those 22 games. Now, Ben Myers, I believe, is also going to the Olympics. Um, and there yeah. is conversation that um, they could be on the same line at the Olympics as well. Uh, that was obviously asked of Nyes and, and what his thoughts are. And he was kind of pushing for that as well. Um, but the interesting part was when he talked about his development and, and where he, where he believes this will take his pro career. And he, he kind of brushed that under the table and said, look, I'm focused on being a gopher right now. I'm focused on, you know, obviously the Olympics ahead of me um, and we'll focus on the pro career when the time comes. And, you know, if, if that comes tomorrow, then I'll focus on it then. But basically the fact is like, I'm focused on where I'm at, but Alex, what are your thoughts on how important this Olympics is for a guy like Matthew Nice, who yes, was taken in the second round could, could be a, a potential first round talent looking back on it now, but how big is the, the Olympics for his development? Well, I mean, you said right off the hop there that his confidence is through the roof when it comes to the Olympics. I mean, this guy's not intimidated that he's about to play on the biggest stage in the sports world without question. Then, I mean, at that point, I, I, I think it can only mean good things for his developments. Um, you know, I, I think it's especially cool that he's potentially going to get to play alongside his, his uh, line mate at the University of Minnesota, Ben Myers. And um, <clears throat> I think overall, it's just, it, it's going to be huge for him. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of NHL fans are upset over the fact that NHL players aren't going to the, aren't going to the Olympics and rightfully so, because, you know, it would have been cool to see Matthews versus McDavid, Canada versus USA. You know, a lot of guys like Crosby and Ovechkin, this is, could be their last chance at playing for the Olympics. Well, not Ovechkin. I feel like Ovechkin's going to play at the Olympics until he's in his fifties, but uh, for, for other guys around Crosby's age, Bergeron, et cetera, like you've got guys who are probably looking at their last chance at the Olympics. So in that sense, it sucks. But I think the addition of not just Matthew Nyes, I mean, Nyes is a good example for Leaf fans, but I think the possibility of, players at that level getting to play at the Olympics and sort of take over that main stage for themselves and really go and represent their country like that. I think it's a good thing for not only the players, but for the fans as well, because it'll give them a reason to kind of dial themselves back in and watch. I mean, I know um, not everybody's a prospect guru like the three of us are, but for Matthew Nyes, especially, I mean, um, he is a prospect and he, he is a guy that, you know, Leaf fans might not know a lot about. I mean, at least the casual Leaf fan might not know a lot about. So getting to watch him on the big stage, I think will be great for driving in viewers. And just a quick note on Nick Abrazesi as well. I think um, for him, I'm very excited that he gets to go to the Olympics because he has really flipped the script, I think, more than any other Leafs prospects. I know that, you know, when you go back to when he was drafted, I believe he was a fourth rounder in 2019. Um, then that was the draft where I believe the Leafs didn't select a single player who was over six feet tall. And uh, you already know that the, uh, not, not to single out a specific demographic of fans, but we'll say the, uh, the fans that enjoyed the, the, the Wendell Clark days, we'll, we'll call it uh we're not too happy with Dubas for not taking any players over six feet tall, but you know, um, I think on top of that, you know, Abrazesi is five foot nine. He, he was an overager in the USHL. I think when they drafted him and his, his offensive totals weren't anything too crazy. So it was like, you know, what, what, what's Dubas doing here? Like there are other guys he could have taken, but then you look at him and his, his developments. I mean, he was a Hobie Baker front runner, I believe in 2019, 20, he was, a, he was over a point per game player. He had a great season. 
And now you're looking at him. He's the captain for Harvard. Now he's going to play at the Olympics for Team USA. And it's just like, you know, Nick Abrazesi, I, I, and I will, I will single myself out here for being wrong. Not to say I didn't think he'd be, a, he'd be a good prospect for them, but when he was drafted, I didn't think that he was going to be top five level, but he's kind of worked himself into that conversation with the way that he's played over the past few years. And that combined with the fact that he missed that entire season because of his hip surgery. I mean, I think there's no better time than now for Nick Abrazesi to familiarize himself with Leaf fans. Yeah, the great thing right now with with the Olympics, the way they're going to be, is that there's a lot of great storylines. And I think Abruzzese is a perfect example of what could be a, a fantastic storyline going into into the Olympics and and where he where he develops and and where he goes from there. And I mean, the the pro careers for these young guys are are right around the corner. It's not like Nyes is going to be there for or or be at the University of Minnesota for the entire four years. I I find that really hard to believe, seeing how well he's progressed. Um, also worth noting that on team USA, Kenny Augustino, who used to be in the Leafs system will also be part of team USA. He's playing over in the KHL has 40 points in 46 games. So, um, you know, good for him as well. Uh, always like to see, see guys succeed, um, you know, past their time with, with the Leafs, unless they're scoring against the Leafs, which always seems to happen. Do you guys feel that if Nyes has a really strong Olympic tournament and even continues with the world juniors, how imminent do you think ELC is going to be for him? Because I think if he tears it up at both tournaments or continues with one and if the Olympics go as according as planned as we think it may happen, I think he gets an ELC right away. I I think the team already wants to sign him. I I think Mm -hmm. right now Mm -hmm. it's him that's holding off because he wants he wants to play out his collegiate years and, and figure out yeah. you know what what comes next. But I think the team I think if you're the Leafs if you're Dubis you're already looking at you know how can we get him locked in. But I I, I see where you're coming from. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen quickly when it does. Um, I think he's a guy that wants to play in Toronto uh, just based off of the conversation he was having surrounding. Um, Arizona hockey. He did, he did bring up Matthews and what he meant to Arizona hockey as well. So um, that's, that's an interesting talking point. That's why I brought it up in the Matthews conversation, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I I just, I think he's the one holding out right now. You know, it's funny. Um, Guarantee you, you ever seen those heat maps of like um, you look at, it'll show you like the map of North America or whatever, and it'll show you which team is the most popular in every province or state. Guarantee you the Leafs will the Leafs get Matthews and Matthew Nice. I think I guarantee you Arizona's favorite hockey team will be the Leafs, not the Coyotes. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> no, I'm I'm joking actually because there was another point I was going to bring up on that. I I can't remember what the exact criteria was, but I think the only freshman in the NCAA who's outperforming Matthew Nice right now is Josh Doan, who was drafted by the Arizona Coyotes. That's another really cool storyline. I look forward to following. Yeah, and and he did bring up Josh Stone as well, and talking about playing him, playing against him in the minors or with him in the minors, and and uh, you know he was obviously coached by uh, Shane Doan at, at one point. Matthew Nyes was. Um, he talked about Steve Sullivan, Steve Sullivan being a a, a big uh, role model for him as well. So another former Leaf. It's interesting that you did bring that up because there was multiple Leafs or former Leafs talked about in that conversation, and. You know, you hear Steve Sullivan a little blast from the past there, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, that's a very good question, Peter. Like it, it, it is definitely a talking point that I think 
you know, the Leafs have already, they've probably already discussed it. I do think yeah. it's on his side that he's, he's holding off. Cause I don't know the logistics around if collegiate he does. Players. Yeah. Collegiate players signing the, mm-hmm. their ELC. Um, I, yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too sure about that, but I'd have to look into it, but maybe we can, maybe that's something we can talk about next week. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Abruzzese, you want to talk about him? Uh, Hobie Baker nominees, Abruzzese and uh, you want to, you want to get this one before I go dash two? I believe um, it's Torberg. Torberg? Man, all these European names are killing me. He's Canadian actually. <laughs> yeah. With a with a European background, for oh sure. yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Um, but Hobie Baker nominees, obviously, it's a long list. Um, but the fact that these guys are being recognized, uh, Alex, what does it mean to have two names in Leafs land on uh, on the Hobie Baker nominee list? You know, it makes me feel a lot better about the drafting job that Kyle Dubas has done over the past couple of years versus the forbidden draft classes of 2016 and 2017 that Mark Hunter was at the helm for. Oh boy, it's it's yeah. already not looking good. And listen, I don't, I've I've got, I've actually considered writing an article about Dubas's draft work since he became the sole GM and he started overseeing scouting and all that versus when it was kind of Hunter's gig still. And I can't do it yet because none of the guys that I would use to argue for Dubas like Twerberg and like Abrazesi and like Nimala and uh, um, uh, Ronnie Hervonen and all these and Matthew Nice, Like I can't really use any of that as, as an argument because none of them have made the NHL yet. But let me tell you right now, five years down the line or whatever, if any of these guys are established and starting to look good, that's going to be the article that comes out because Dubas has done a great job at finding, finding talent in the late rounds. And you know, I'm straying a little bit off topic here just because I know you asked me about Twerberg and, uh, and Abrazesi, but sent out a tweet the other day about how the Leafs only had three picks in the first, or sorry, in the draft in 2021. But of those three picks, Matthew Nye's point per game freshman, and we just talked about how he's going to the Olympics. You've got Ty Voigt, who is a primary assist machine this year for Sarnia, absolutely tearing it up. He just had, he had a night the other night with five, five primary assists, I believe it was. And then you've got Vyakislav Paxa or Pexa, my, my apologies. He's in the Russian junior leagues right now, having a great season. Just of those three players, you're looking at guys who probably could have gone a little bit higher than the, where the Leafs got them. And that's one thing that Dubas is very good at is finding talent late in the rounds that sort of justifies not having those first round picks. I mean, you can brag about having a first round pick all you want, but then you could also be the Ottawa senators and draft Tyler Boucher 10th overall. And nothing against Tyler Boucher. I mean, you know, he could still end up being a pretty effective player in the NHL, but you saw how far off the board Ottawa went there. They did the same thing the year before with Tyler Clevin when the Leafs got Hirvonen and Niemela out of that. So um, overall, I guess the point that I'm trying to make in the end here is that Twerberg and Abrazesi being Hobie Baker finalists after VT Mietinen was a Hobie Baker finalist last year, really just – it shines a light on how well Dubas has done drafting because all those, all three of those guys that I just named were drafted after the fourth round and Twerberg. I mean, he was in, he was in conversation to make team Canada at the world juniors this year. He's also having a great season over in UConn. Uh, sorry. U- university of Connecticut, U- university of Connecticut, not, but you're UConn right. It was UConn. It's just, it was UConn. Yeah, all of us, yeah, all all of us March madness guys <laughs> know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, to be fair, I'm not a March Madness guy myself. Like I, I wish I could say, I wish I could say I was, but uh, anyways, yeah, I've, I, that sounded kind of confusing coming out of my mouth. Yeah. This guy from the Yukon's doing really well. Um, but either way, yeah, I, I guess I've kind of been talking in circles for a while here, but um, Twerberg was the seventh round pick. Um, Abrazesi is a fourth round pick Two Hobie Baker finalists. I mean, it's just great drafting by uh, the least scouting department at Dubas. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I think of the three picks that you mentioned from last year, I think two of them have the potential to make the NHL at some point. Um, obviously Pexa is, is more of a question mark, but like you said, in the Russian junior leagues, he's having a great season. Um, if he's a guy that pr- can progress and we've seen, I mean, Jack Campbell's a perfect example that, you know, goalies take a little more time to develop and, and it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do, um, you know, over the next few seasons, but yeah, i Peter, your thoughts on, on how important it is to have two guys on the Hobie Baker list. Um, just impressive, really. I mean, Alex is talking about like, you know, the drafting and quality of the process that they're having, but you just look at like what Abri says he has done without playing a full season. And we can say that about a lot of players who haven't played a full season, but he's impressing already again at this point. Um, you know, Ryan Torberg is just under a point per game, 17 points in 18 games at the moment. And you know, he, again, he's looking very fantastic and not looking out of place at all. Um, it, it's, I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm probably just going to repeat what Alex says, but at the same time, um, the fact that we have two in the running right now says a lot. And yeah, you may think that, oh, because he's a late round pick or later round picks, it won't amount to anything or it's not going to matter. Well, guess what it does? Because it helps boost their confidence and it makes the team look good that even at the at a point where they feel like they don't they're not gonna make the team, you can at least have good value for them for them to have success elsewhere. And I do hope that Abrusezi and Torberg, especially Torberg, because this guy looks like a real pest to play against. And I would want that on my team so much. Same with Abrusezi. He has a really great work ethic and he's just a puck hound. Like he just goes after every single battle, doesn't care whatsoever. He wants to fight. Well, not literally fight, but he's battling for possession. And, you know, those are the players that the Maple Leafs value. They want them to succeed and they have a place for them in this organization. So the fact that they're in the running for one of the top awards at the collegiate level does say a lot about them, about the team and their scouting process. Yeah, I think it's it's more important now than it was, say, 10 years ago because the collegiate game has developed in so many ways that, you know, you look at players that are going to college now and they're top players in the game. I mean, you talk about guys like, hell, even Eichel came out of out of college and, you know, there, there, there's, there's more of an emphasis on going to school for a year or two or, hell, three, four. Um, you know, shout out Jimmy Vesey. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, if it's become more of a, a development league than it was 10, 12, 15 years ago, right? So I think that's why the Hobie Baker nominees have become more of an important conversation because, you know, you both kind of hit it on the head. Uh, you, you're talking about players that are being recognized for playing, um, you know, at the top of their game in the collegiate level, which is now a development league for the NHL. So 
I, I think it is worth noting and I'm, I'm glad that you guys threw that on the notes because it, it is, it is something that needs to be talked about. So um, Jack Campbell, you want to, I kind of mentioned him earlier, late bloomer. Let's uh, let's get into Jack Campbell. First time all-star uh, 30 years old. This guy's numbers. I mean, he's last four games. He's had a little bit of a, a slump. I, I, even, even then his win totals have, have continued to increase, but um, the numbers are not really where they want to be at in the last four games. Still Jack Campbell's an all-star likely going to be signed by the Leafs at some point this season before the season closes. I hope, um, especially with my new article coming out uh, tomorrow about how this little slump won't affect his contract. Um, <laughs> but uh I mean, Peter, is this a guy that, you know, we're looking at as, as a legitimate starter at the NHL level now that he's won an all-star two over the last year and a half has, has really been the MVP of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And three, is he a guy that can get this team over the hump in between the pipes? Um, just as a comparison to last year. And now that we have a bigger sample or a bigger sample than just 22 games, you know, he had he was 17-3-2 last year, 921 save percentage, 215 goals against average. This year, 19 and 5, four shutouts compared to the two he had last year, 931 and 213 save uh goals against average. So everything he's bested his career total from the previous or his career best from the previous season. And he acted on that before that with six games with the Maple Leafs previously. So I honestly do think that now this is the Jack Campbell that, you know, many have doubted previously before because of the sample size. And, you know, you want to be fair, you want to get a better gauge, but right now 50 games into his or 56 games into his career as a Maple Leaf right now, I'm saying it's looking pretty damn good at this point. These are starter numbers. He's playing like a starter. He's made critical saves, even when the team is down and we saw, you know, the save that he made and Nazem Kadri's reaction right after that against Colorado. I mean, if this guy isn't a starter, if this guy isn't being labeled as, you know, a vessel a contender for this year, it's really surprising because how do you argue with those numbers and suggest otherwise? And, you know, yeah, you could look at the last four games and say, yeah, he hasn't been great. But at the same time, the team in front of him hasn't been great either giving up odd man rushes, bad plays, poor positioning, leaving players wide open. The whole team just hasn't looked great. I think you can argue maybe the game against St. Louis where he could have had a few on his own without the team in front of him, but the team got a win for him. And I know Alex is probably going to say this. The team got a win from him when, you know, many nights he stole on the game for the play of the players outside. Um, I didn't mean to take that from you, Alex, but it, it, it just – you know, it, it's true. It, it seems like he's still in a lot of games and the team helped him out in that regard where he probably wasn't at his best. So if it does impact this contract, I mean, it's probably going to work out for the best where it won't be maybe four or five, maybe three. And I'm just joking. I mean, no, no matter what the contract figure is going to be, Jack Campbell's going to have deserved it because they're all-star numbers, they're Vesna caliber numbers. And he's just having a hell of a season right now. And this is the kind of goaltending that they've needed consistently from previous years. And they're getting that right now. You're on mute there, Forbesy. 
I knew, you know what? I never mute myself and I'm just pouring myself a drink and I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. Um, that's why I don't mute myself though, boys. I, I, I just didn't want you guys to hear me pour myself a drink. Um, anyway, actually seems like the only type of ASMR I'd actually enjoy. Yeah. It's the sound of a drink being poured into a nice glass with ice. Uh, put that right. Put that right into your microphone and let. <laughs> yeah, I'll pour it right I'll on, use it to fall on screen I'll, next time. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it to fall asleep. I'll, I'll use that audio to fall asleep tonight. Hearing the coke fizz a bit. Uh, but uh, no, I, I was I was gonna say in in writing the article that I'm I'm working on right now, it, it's worth noting that over the last two seasons, he's second to only Jeremy Swayman in goals against average uh, at two fourteen and. This season alone, he's second only Igor Shosturkin um, for goals saved above average. If you look at his numbers since he came into the NHL, the numbers themselves, like the goals against and, and the save percentage, is not as bad as people may assume. What's bad is his, his win totals. And, and even the game, even the year, I believe it was 2018-19 when he played 31 games for the LA Kings, it was his win totals that brought him down. This is a guy who, as the 11th overall pick back in 2010, has relatively lived up to expectations, just never given the opportunity. Now in Toronto, over the last year and a half, he's, he's earned that opportunity as the starting goaltender. He probably should be the Leafs' starting goaltender moving forward. But Alex, do you foresee any reason why he would not be back in blue and white next season? And your thoughts on him being the Atlantic goaltender at the All-Star game? Well, it's incredibly well-deserved because Campbell, ever since he got to Toronto, every single season he's been here, and I say season kind of loosely because 2019-20, he only really played six games for them. Um, But honest to God, like, every single season he's been in Toronto, he's sort of amplified his game to another level. You know, 2019-20, he was that reliable backup that could give Freddie a break every now and then. 2021, he stole the show. And when Freddie started to struggle, he was battling his injuries all year long. Jack Campbell was right there to make sure the Leafs stayed in the conversation. And this year, he's emerged himself as a Vezina candidate. And, you know, I think the one thing that makes me feel, first of all, I, I, I'm incredibly happy for Campbell because I think it's just a testament to how hard he's worked to get to this point. And I think with Campbell, you know, you look at stories, similar stories to this in the past. I like to think of, for example, Andrew Hammond in Ottawa back in, I think it was 2014, 15, 2013, 14, one of those two seasons. But Andrew Hammond, essentially came out of nowhere and was one of the best goalies in the league. Kind of an afterthought now. And that's kind of a reason why I don't think Jack Campbell is going to have a similar story to that, because I think a lot of people tend to forget that this guy isn't, I I couldn't hear the pouring there, unfortunately for us, maybe a little closer next time. (laughs) Um, But anyways, yeah, for those that are just listening and not watching, Forbes is just pouring a drink as I was kind of spewing my take there. But anyways, I think the one thing that sort of makes me feel a little more confident about Jack Campbell is the fact that he's not some reclamation project or some some cool Cinderella story of a guy that, you know, uh, was signed to a PTO out of juniors and started in the ECHL and kind of worked his way up. Like he's not like, and, and nothing against people who have stories like that because they're amazing. But Jack Campbell was picked 11th overall in 2010. So I think there's a reason that he was picked so high. And 
I think he's just a late bloomer. I mean, you look at Tim Thomas. Tim Thomas wasn't really an established elite NHL goalie until he was like 35 or something like that. Like goalies are goalies develop differently than any other player. And I think Jack Campbell just, you know, didn't, wasn't really in a good situation in Dallas. Um, he was in a better situation in LA. That's where he kind of started to find his game again, but obviously you're kind of stuck behind Jonathan quick there. And you know, you come to Toronto, he comes to Toronto and he's got an opportunity to really take over as the starting role and we're seeing what he can do. So I, I, I feel really good about this and just, I'm not going to ramble anymore, but I do want to read if you guys are willing to uh, partake in some story time right here. I want, I want to read out Jason Spezza's full quote regarding Jack Gamble being named to the all-star game because it's a bit of a long read, but it, it feels good. It'll make you feel good. So he goes, I'm just, oh, and I'll, this comes from David Alter, friend of the show, before I, before I start reading this. Um, the, the quote goes, I'm just so proud of Soup. I work a lot with the goalies before practice and shooting on them, and I've talked to Soup a lot, and the way that he's approached his game. Even when he started having success last year, just the constant drive he had to work on his game to get better, he's just really matured, and he's turned into a really steady goaltender that we believe is going to be a game changer for us every single night. I knew him in Dallas. He had that same work ethic, that same youthfulness to him, I guess, in the sense that he would take shots all day. I was fond of him there just because anytime the goalie is willing to stay out there for a long time, it always wins me over. We actually had a bit of a relationship in Dallas too when he'd be up. But then him going up and kind of going to the next level, I was extremely proud and happy for him. I was actually with him in Arizona when he found out that he was named to the All-Star Game, and I think I might have been happier than he was. Just to see when a guy puts that type of work in, he spends his summers here now just to make sure he's getting proper work. Just a great kid who's worked really hard, and you know he's got a long time ahead of him now. Goalies can play for a long time, and I think he's just starting to find his stride. I mean, you know, I, I said this regarding Jason Spezza's quote on the NHL's decision to not test asymptomatic players, which we'll get to later on in the show. But Jason Spezza is the perfect audio bite from an athlete. From a, from a journalist's perspective, that guy, like – I, I swear to God, when he retires from hockey, he has to teach a course teaching players how to answer tough questions from the media. And not that that was a tough question, but whether it's a tough question or whether it's a an easy question, Jason Spezza, every single time, he, he gives you a great quote. So I just wanted to share that quote. I, I, I'm kind of done with my take here, but I, I wanted to share that because Spezza is just an absolute beauty. He's salt of the earth, um, both as a person and as a player. And I think it speaks a lot about what the team, what, what Jack Campbell means to that team. Yeah, we'll get to responding to tough questions as well later in the show. But um, I, I think both of you know where I stand on Jason Spezza. I, I, I've said it before. I'll say it a hundred more times. I think this guy needs to be signed to a lifetime contract with the Leafs, whether it's in a, in a development role, whether it's in a, in a front office role, whether it's in, you know, uh, like you said, just a matter of talking to the media. I mean, maybe that's, you get it like, hell, give him like, you know, get him, get him his PhD and he can be the team, you know, therapist. I, I, I don't care. Just get him, get him in blue and white for life. Like this guy, wants to breathe hockey he wants to be around the team and i mean from one class act talking about another class act in jack campbell i think what we've been able to see from from soup over the over the last year and a half in terms of who he is as a person what who he is as a team guy um you know seeing him go to the the nhl all-star game it couldn't happen to a better person 
and, and I think it's so deserving. And, you know, I see, I see your Jersey in the background there, uh, Alex, and obviously mine's mine's right here waiting to go up on the wall. I think Peter needs to get on the Jack Campbell train and throw a, throw a Campbell Jersey up there as well. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously he's won us over and, and I'd love to see him back at some point, which is why I'm writing what I'm writing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, all-star in our minds, all-star in the league's minds and, and a guy that is, is well-deserving of a Vesna vote when the season is all said and done. Um, another guy that uh, kind of should be relatively close with Campbell because of the, the fact that he's, he's, you know, trying to protect the net night in night out Jake Muzzin. Um, he'll, he's going to take the next week off concussion, like symptoms, um, obviously took a couple big hits against in the last two, two games for the Leafs. Uh, one, I, I don't know if you guys remember seeing him afterwards. He kind of shook his head. Uh, you could kind of see that something was a little off now. Now they're saying it is a concussion. Um, Alex, Jake Muzzin, big loss, or, or maybe this is, you know, the perfect time to, to lose a guy like that, uh, to give some of the younger guys an opportunity. You know, I don't know if I'd say that it's the perfect time to lose a guy like that because I don't – ideally in any world, you'd want a fully perfectly healthy Jake Muzzin. Um, but I do think there is a little bit of merit to that statement because Rasmus Sandin's a guy that I think could really thrive with top four minutes if given the opportunity. And now you're getting the opportunity to see Timothy Lilligren in the top four as well. And I, I, I'd say you are right in a sense that is the, it is the perfect time for them to get those kind of minutes because Jake Muzzin, I think, does need some time off. I think – I think we can all agree that throughout this season, he hasn't really looked the same as he has in the past. And I think a lot of that obviously has to do with, you know, the fact that his pairing with Justin Hall just isn't really, isn't really working the same way that it used to in 2020 and 2021. Um, and, you know, for a guy who plays a game like Muzzin's, which features a lot of contact, a lot of throwing the body, a lot of taking hits, a lot of blocking shots, it's going to take a toll on your body after a while. And I think, you know, Jake Muzzin's a guy that's been injured in the past two playoff runs or high runs air quote unquote, but the First past couple of times. Yeah. The past couple <laughs> of times the Leafs have made the playoffs. Jake Muzzin's gone out with an injury and I I'd rather go without Muzzin in the regular season and let him rest and get back to uh, his top form. Excuse me. Um, then I would see him, um, get injured in the playoffs again, plain and simple. So I know it's obviously concussions. You can't really use for that argument because it's a freak accident. Um, you can't really, you know, I guess plan a concussion. Well, not plan a concussion, but you know, it's not one of those injuries that, you know, can be nagging. You can come back and try and play through. Like I think the NHL is at a point now where um, if you have a concussion, you got to, you got to recover from it, especially seeing some of the stuff about CTE we've seen come out in the past couple of years. So um yeah, overall, I think it's it's one of those things where you can make light out of a good, uh, make light out of a bad situation. You don't want to see Muzzin go down with an injury, but I think this will really give Leafs and their fans an opportunity to see what they've really got in Sandin and Lilligren. Yeah, I mean, Peter and I, I feel like shit today because uh, I, I sent out a tweet about Muzzin skating with the team and forgetting his underwear, and then like what ten minutes later, I think it was Alex that. The Leafs released uh, the news that he had uh, he actually had a concussion. I felt like a complete dickhead for for writing what I wrote. But anyways, if anybody saw it, that was before we knew that he had a concussion. Um, but Peter, 
you know, you, you've been very vocal on, on your thoughts on Justin Hall. And right now he's out of the lineup right now. Jake Muzzin's out of the lineup. We're going to see Alex Biega make it, make a return to the lineup. Likely uh, Timothy Lilligren coming off his first NHL goal, getting more of an opportunity. Rasmus Sandin getting more of an opportunity. Um, is this kind of a blessing in disguise for the Maple Leafs? I mean, I guess, yeah, because you don't want to see Muzzin go down because he, as Alex mentioned, he's just an integral part of the team. And, you know, Mark Masters came out with a really great, you know, recap and post of what the team is trying to do to help iron out the inconsistencies with Muzzin in its game because, you know, like, let's be realistic. That pairing of, of Muzzin and Hall has not been great. And there are even times where, you know, when Muzzin isn't with Hall, he looks great at times, but it also he still makes the questionable plays. Uh, so got to worry about that. But at the same time, you know, with him out, with Sandine being a defenseman of the future, Timothy Lilligren looking great in the games that he's played, not so much lately because he hasn't played in over a month, plus also being on COVID protocol. It's a perfect opportunity for them to succeed with the second pairing out with Muzzin and his concussion and Hall being in COVID protocol because, you know, they're getting sheltered minutes. They're playing third line most of the nights, maybe getting more than they would normally usually get, but at the same time, it's still not enough to be classified as top four. So the fact that they're getting an opportunity to play in that top four role with, uh, I'm assuming it's going to be against the New York Rangers. That is going to, the Rangers, sorry, I'm losing my mind right now. Um, you know, it's a perfect opportunity for them. It, it, it's, it's a chance for them to show that, you know, they've been patient with their development. They've seen what they could do in the NHL already. Now let's try and up up the intensity. Kind of like Spinal Tap, instead of going from 10, you go to 11. So let's see if they could go to 11 and elevate their level of play because, you know, this is a team or not team, not a team, but a franchise that's, you know, put faith in their prospects. Keith has, Keith has seen what they can do at the AHL level. He's seen what they can do at the NHL. Now let's up the competition a little bit because I think if this is the opportunity for them, time to show it right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on the same boat as you guys. I think Muzzin is a loss. I, I do think a healthy Muzzin is, is an integral part of this team. I also think that he hasn't been healthy all season long. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's looked like himself. Uh, his skating has been, you know, slower than usual, which is pretty darn slow. Um, and, and he just doesn't seem like the same player that we're, we're used to. Um, so I think this is a great opportunity for him to, to, you know, take a few, take, take a few games off and, and get healthy and figure things out. And, and it, like you guys said, it's a great opportunity for the Leafs to see what they have in Sandine and Lilligren. Um, maybe it gives you an opportunity to move a guy like Holland Dermott in the off season. We've talked about that in the past. Uh, if you know, you have two guys in those young Swedes um, that can, you know, get stuff done at the NHL level, you're, you're more opportunistic in terms of trying to move one of the, the other two and, in Dermot and Hall. So I do think it's a great opportunity. I think the Leafs are in a good spot right now in terms of the standings that they can kind of miss out on a guy like that and, and allow these player these young players to, to play and develop and, and get opportunities. But, um, you know, like Alex said, I never want to see a guy go down and, and certainly not with a concussion. We, anybody who's, who's had a concussion knows how, how damning it can feel sometimes. So, um, hopefully he's, he's healthy. Hopefully it's not too, too bad. And hopefully he's back on the ice healthy and, and ready to go for a, for a solid Mike Comito playoff run. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, aside from aside from that, that's kind of all we have for for Leaf news. I, I did want to mention that uh, Brad Marchand loves the Maple Leafs. Um, for all yep. you Boston fans out there, you don't, we don't even have to talk about this anymore. Brad Marchand loves the Leafs. He's going to be a Leaf someday. That's all we're going to say. He looks right. good in blue and white. <laughs> <laughs> uh, imagine he imagine he became a Leaf and scored like three straight goals to take a five four lead against the Boston Bruins in the playoffs. That'd be crazy. Oh Anyways. God, let's hope that that, I, that that would just happen in an alternate universe. That wouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably dream about it tonight. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, NHL news, guys. Let's jump over to the NHL news. Um, I I don't have this on our notes, but I do want to talk about it real quick. Um, Andrew Berkshire of Sportsnet did. Uh, I mean, he's got his own podcast as well now too. He's doing great. Uh, used to write for the hockey writers way back in the day. Worth noting. Um. But he uh, he made note of obviously the 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 Habs hired um, a, a new GM uh, in in Kent Hughes and uh, he's a former player agent was the player agent for uh, Patrice Bergeron Patrice Bergeron's obviously UFA at the end of this season and talking about Boston Bruins leaving for rivals how insane would it be? if Patrice Bergeron left and went home to Montreal, I'm not saying it's going to happen. It's probably not going to happen, but how incredible would it be for Patrice Bergeron to end up as a Montreal Canadian? Imagine. So imagine that happens. He leaves and he goes home to play for the Montreal Canadians. And then just for fun and just to rub salt in the wound of every Leafs fan in the world, he leaves Montreal after a few seasons, signs like a one-year deal with the Ottawa Senators right when they're finally good again, and they're at the peak of the uh, Battle of Ontario rivalry. Imagine that. Oh, scores, God. The, scores the OT winner against the Leafs in Game 7 on a 4-1 uh, comeback. Oh, don't, don't do this to us, man. That's what, that, that's what right. Patrice Bergeron is put on earth to do. He's put uh, on earth to torment the Leafs, pretty much. Well, isn't every player put on earth to torment the Leafs? Shout well, out to yeah, James Reimer. We love you. Bergeron more so than the others. <laughs> We also talk about Bergeron too. Chris Letang is also a UFA at the end of this year. Yeah. And he's an agent of Hughes as well. So Yeah, I mean, hey, look, there's there's a lot, a lot of, of possibilities right now. It, it's crazy because it, I mean he, he is bilingual. He's he's obviously got some some Francophone roots as well. Um but what's what what's crazy is that they're hiring like a first time GM. Um mm-hmm. And Montreal right now is not really in a position to hire a first-time GM. And I only say that because, I mean, we talk so much about the Leafs pipeline. Like, can we talk about Montreal's pipeline a little bit? How's Logan Mayu? I'm just going to skip that. I'm just going to say how good yeah. is Caden Cooley, Caden Gooley, Jan Misak, Sean Farrell. Sean Farrell, big fan of Sean Farrell, Josh Roy. Man, are you, guys, are, you, are you guys pissy or are you just not answering the tough questions? <laughs> oh, I'm fine. Don't even bring up the word. I'm pissy. fine, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Perfect uh, segue. a field day with something. Perfect Jesus. segue. Uh, yeah, I mean, before uh, we get into that, before we get into that, I just want to say I think this is the perfect move for Montreal. Obviously, with what they've seen with Mark Bergevin and the moves that, you know, kind of like that old boys club in the past. You want to get a fresh voice and you want to get a French mentality. You have a player agent that's been on one side and now he's going to be on the other side. So he's got to work that advantage to his game right now dealing with contracts and negotiations. 
So I think this is a good move. Underrated, I didn't see it coming, but I think it can play out very well. Yeah, but so my, my thing is, though, you're going from a player agent to a GM and where you've looked after the players for so long. Is this is this a spot where maybe he puts, puts the team in, in cap, you know, mayhem because he's looking after the players? And that's, that's where I'm looking at because mm-hmm. at some point, I mean, obviously Suzuki signed um, – you know, at some point, Caulfield's going to come up for for a signing, and and you know, let's be honest, Caulfield's had a shit year. Um, but you're going to get guys that you know are coming up. You 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 guys mentioned some of the young young guns they have in, in their pipeline, and and those guys are going to come up for for contracts in you know three five five years, right? Like, I'm not saying he's going to be there that long. I'm just saying like there's there's an opportunity here where he goes from looking after the players to now having to almost battle with some players on what they are worth. And True. True. that can, that can hurt, that can hurt somebody. And, and I'm, I'm speaking from a guy who went from like being one of the guys on the lower level to becoming a manager. And all of a sudden, you know, you can't be friends with these guys anymore. You can be outside, but a lot of people can't separate that, that work, you know, everyday life kind of mentality. And if, if, he's done this for long enough. Like it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a major change for him. I think he'll be able to do it. I just think it's going to be, it's going to be a major change. And I think we're going to see that. We're going to see some repercussions in the Montreal Canadians over the next year or two. Interesting note to uh, throw out there. If you guys weren't aware, Kent Hughes is actually the father of 2022 draft eligible Jack Hughes. The other Jack Hughes. The other Jack Hughes. The other not Jack 2019 Hughes. Jack Hughes. Not 2019 in the NHL. New Jersey Devils already established Jack Hughes. The upcoming new Jack Hughes 2, the sequel. The sequel. Uh, the yeah. sequel. Yeah. <laughs> Kent, yeah, Kent Hughes is his father. Just uh, worth noting. That is that is an interesting note. Fun yeah, fact. I mean, maybe Montreal select him. Who knows? I they, they could. I mean, where is he projected to go now, Mr. Head of – Head of prospects, Peter. I think he's like mid early twenties or something like that. Yeah, Central Scouting had him as a first rounder or like in the top twenty four right. North America. But I second I, round pick. Second, second round, pick. round pick. I I, I project him more as a second rounder. Um, there's some things in his game that I just don't see that stand out. Great playmaker, but I I'm just not sold on a couple aspects of his game at the moment. Yeah, there's right. a, there's a few holes in his game. Um, I, I think he's got he's got the skill level to to be a, a bubble first rounder. I mean, who knows? Some team might take him late in the first round, but I, I would say he, among North American skaters. Okay. Yeah, I, I would say he's to me he's an early second round pick, but um, yeah, I mean, in, interesting Montreal. We'll see where this goes. I mean, there was lots of talk of Danny Briere coming in. There's lots of talk of. Uh, Matthew Caron, I believe, was was on their short mm-hmm. list. Uh, hell, if you guys saw my tweet, thanks, John Derringer, for for retweeting it. I was on their short list about a million people down. <laughs> <laughs> bilingual, baby, bilingual. How, how awkward would that as have long been? As you... If you were, how awkward would that have been if you actually ended up getting hired as Montreal's GM and you had to break the news to them that you run a Leafs podcast? Oh, man. <laughs> I would have told them that I'm signing uh, Jack Campbell, the, the first opportunity I get. Oh, just promise us that if you did get the job, Alex would have been your assistant and I would have been your head of scouting. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I would have, <laughs> hey, we I'll would be start... the assistant, the assistant to the GM. 
A, forget, assistant, forget the assistant to the assistant GM. Forget yeah. Habs unfiltered. We would have started our own Habs podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dragon, Dragon Blaine. <laughs> Alex, are you old enough for Seinfeld? Uh, I, I, I probably won't get the reference if I'm being honest. But I, I know was just show. about to say, being George Costanza, the assistant to the traveling secretary. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I, that that reference yeah, goes no. right over my head. I'm okay, really yeah. aging uh, myself here. I'm only tw- I'm only 22. I'm a spring <laughs> chicken. Uh, you got to watch some more Seinfeld, man. It's on Netflix. Yeah, I, I know. I'm actually I'm working on Afterlife with Ricky Gervais right now. That's a pretty go. good show. Um. um anyways, uh, yeah. Sorry, I don't have anything else to say. No, I just I was gonna stick with the Bruins for a second. Willie O'Ree retirement, uh, his jersey retirement today. Um, boys, like this was this was well well overdue. Um, I think it's a it's a great moment for hockey. I think you know we talk about the HDA last uh, uh, last pod and, and what it means to kind of gather that inclusiveness. I think the NHL is still well behind where they need to be. Um, but one, one tweet I wanted to read out was from Wayne Simmons. He said, uh, tonight, my idol, Willie O'Ree's number 22 will be hung from the rafters. Finally, I can't stress how much Mr. O'Ree has meant to me and millions of other BIPOC, um, kids who love the game of hockey. Congratulations, Mr. O'Ree. Um, yeah, just, I mean, it is long overdue. Uh, I don't think there's any question there. Um, obviously they were going to do last year. It was long overdue last year. The fact that, uh, they're just doing it now, it just kind of shows you where the NHL's at. Um, with that being said, I, you know, the fact is they did it. It, it thankfully they did it. It's about time they did it. And congratulations to Mr. O'Ree for, for being such a major influence in the game of hockey for all BIPOC players. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Representation matters, man. Yeah, absolutely. It does absolutely. And, you know, the, the the sooner the NHL starts using Willie O'Ree to show young BIPOC individuals what they can do, and that this league truly should be for everybody, I think the sooner the better for everybody. So uh, it's you're right, Andrew. Long overdue that it took them this long to uh, to honor him in that way, but at the same time, better late than never. And I'm glad that he's finally getting the respect he deserves. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, speaking of BIPOC players, Nazem Kadri, a, a member of the HDA. A former Leaf, um, he also will be joining Jack Campbell at the NHL All-Star Game, uh, or games, I guess they are considered now. What's interesting, 701 NHL games played for this guy in the regular season. A former first-round pick in 2009, seventh overall, finally becoming an NHL All-Star for the first time. And I'm all about, you know participation and, and, and celebrating people participating. I hate the participation award in, in all minor hockey and minor sports and whatever the hell else. Look, make the all-star game what it was because there are players that are so deserving to be there that are not going to be there. Nazem Kadri almost missed out on being an all, NHL all-star this year. And this is a guy who's top five in scoring. You're talking about so flawed about that. It's 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 so ridiculous, and the fact that he had to be voted in as the vote in player is an absolute joke. Um, I, I'm glad that he got there. I'm glad that he's going to be there. I'm glad he's going to be in Vegas. Uh, he's going to probably have a hell of a time. Um, wish we were going to be there, but uh, yeah, I mean, 
the NHL All Star Game is is a flawed joke of a system. It's a Mickey, I, I, it's a Mickey Mouse I, event. You can call it what it is. It yeah. is. It is. It is. And and it was Mike Camito who tweeted out something a few days back where uh, it was the day of the you know the last time the the Stanley Cup champion played the All Star team, the NHL All Star team, and like there was like hits involved and you know, feistiness and players hated each other and Bobby Orr was there, but he was part of the all-star team and the Leafs were playing, you know, that's what it was all about. Like, fuck, like, I don't like this, this like tummy sticks type of shit where, you know, it's, Hey, we're going to play like a three on three contest and Hey, we're going to vote John Scott into the, into the all-star game. I was there for that. I was there. I was in Nashville for, for the all-star game. I got, I got credentialed for the Nash for the uh, Nashville all-star game. And, don't get me wrong. It was great seeing John Scott, like talk to the media is he's a fantastic personality, but what the hell was he doing there? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, it's tough because at the time I was fully on board to get John Scott to the all-star game thing. And I wasn't at first, but once I started to actually see him get traction and I, I guess at the time I kind of figured that it would be a, it'd be a one-off thing like, Oh yay, We, you know, we voted this obvious goon into the all-star game, but probably not ever going to happen again um if anything i feel like that john scott getting into the all-star game sort of set the precedent for the fact that the nhl all-star game is a joke and you know what it's tough because i've got sort of two viewpoints on the all-star game for a player's perspective i will never take that away from them Obviously, I can't. I'm a fucking 22-year-old kid sitting here rambling on a podcast. If you're, if you're an NHL player and you've made the All-Star game, I'm not taking anything away from you. That's, that's a hell of an accomplishment. It's better than anything I've ever accomplished in my life. And, for, like, you know, we even, you know, Leafs fans like to dunk on the fact that Nick Suzuki's an All-Star over guys like Nazem Kadri. And I know, obviously, part of that's because he plays for the Habs. But in the end... I'm happy for Nick Suzuki. He gets to go to the all-star game. He gets to tell his kids about that in the future. I'm not taking going to the all-star game away from anybody. However, that does not stop me from thinking that it's without a doubt, the biggest joke of an all-star game out of the four major sports. And they're only shooting themselves in the foot by doing this. Every team gets a representative kind of thing because sure you, you get the Habs fans to tune in because Nick Suzuki's there, but then you ask yourself, are they really even tuning in for that? Like the NHL's all-star game has no stakes involved at all. It's literally just like you said, Andrew, it's, it, it's the, Oh yeah, we'll play each other three on three for a little bit. Nobody tries. Like it's a, it, it's a complete joke. And <clears throat> I think the only reason personally I'm tuning in for the all-star game year in and year out is because I like the skills competition. I'll give it that. The skills competition is fun to watch, but in terms of the game itself, it's just every year it becomes more and more of a joke. And I always see people on Twitter up in arms like, oh, I can't believe so-and-so was named an all-star instead of so-and-so. And it's like, I just don't care because it's the, it, like the all-star game, like I said, it's a joke. Like, do you think people are really going to look back on this year? Say, say, hold on, hypothetically, had Nazem Kadri not been voted into the all-star game, do you think people are going to look back and criticize Nazem Kadri because he didn't get voted to the All-Star game? I think they're going to use that against him say, oh, uh, Kadri, yeah, he's been doing great these past couple of years, but he didn't go to the All-Star game, so is he really that good? No, nobody's going to say that. You can't use the fact that a player was named an All-Star like you can in other major sports. And like I said, the NHL shooting themselves in the foot by, by, by sticking to this participation trophy stuff. It sounds harsh, but at the same time, call it what it is the all-star game the best players in the league 
Like, yeah, I, I, mean, I think what the sorry, best players, the best players aren't the best players going by comparison. Nick Suzuki, I know point production doesn't really matter, but Nick Suzuki ranks 173rd overall in points. Nazem Kadri was a bubble vote in 49 points. Nico Rantanen isn't going to the All Star game, 46 points. Steven Stamkos voted in 46 points. You're also seeing Artemi Panarin lights out with the Rangers, 38 points, not even going. William Nylander having an all-star season. Make it best on best like it was used to be. You're not even seeing Alexander Barkov going. If a team has to have five players go, but they're really making a significant impact in the standings and their team and they deserve to be there, so be it. I don't care if there's going to be five Colorado Avalanche, four Florida Panthers, five Toronto Maple Leafs, five Boston Bruins. I don't care. If they're the best player on their team and they deserve to go, they deserve to go. Get back to the way it was before. I, I, I mean, I, again, this whole entire thing, where similar to Alex, where you have to have one player from each team, even if you're at the bottom of the barrel and your team isn't that great and none of your players are performing, do you really deserve to be considered an all-star? And, and again, again, it's nothing to take anything away from Nick Suzuki. He is an all-star at this point, but compared to other players, just doesn't seem right. I'll take, I'll take everything away from Nick Suzuki. He's not an all-star. Um, he, he, he's not an all-star. And that's not, that's not a criticism of his game. Nobody on Montreal right now should be named to the all-star team. Um, you want to talk about the four major sports? The only sport out of those four major sports that has a legitimate all-star game is the Pro Bowl in the NFL. Kyrie Irving right now is among the top three in voting in the NBA All-Star game. He's played maybe 10 games because he chose not to get vaccinated. That to me is bullshit. Um, the, the MLB All-Star game is a fan vote. That to me is bullshit. Take the vote out of the, the, the fans' hands. At, at a certain point, it becomes a joke, and that's what they've allowed it to be, become. The skills competition, that's where you're supposed to have the fun. The all-star game is not, yeah. is not meant to be fun. And, and to answer your mm-hmm. question, Alex, about like, what does it matter? You know, are we going to look back on this as a writer when Nazem Kadri retires and let's say he didn't make it this year, he didn't get voted in when he retires. And I look back on his, his career and write a career ending piece and say, you know, see you later Nas. And I look back and, and he's not an all-star yet. He finished top five in scoring. That to me is a fucking joke. That to me, like, why, why am I writing a piece saying, yeah, you know what? Um, Henrik Lundqvist retired and he was a five-time All-Star. What, what does it mean? What does it mean to be an All-Star? Was he the best that season? Probably not. New York fans just voted him in. Who gives a shit? Yep. Like that to me, like at, at a certain point now as a writer, I don't even want to throw in, yeah, he was a five-time All-Star. Who cares? It means absolutely it mean nothing. At this point. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. You know, and if there's one thing that I can suggest I'd like the NHL to bring back in terms of all-star games, because this was actually entertaining, is the players' fantasy draft. When the players are captains of their own teams and they get to draft their teams, I think I enjoyed watching that fantasy draft more than I actually enjoyed watching the all-star game. But have have the two teams again. Don't have this four-team, like, carousel that you have going all day long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a complete complete joke. It's so confusing. At the, well, not confusing, but it's just so boring. Like, I don't want to have to – I want to see one game best on best. 
not 10 turn not not like a 14 10 game tournament to decipher who wins the all-star game you won't that's you not won't, fun you won't have 10 minutes of three on three overtime but you're gonna you're gonna expose me to to 45 hours of three on three all-star bullshit where they go two on oh back and forth for 10 minutes like come on yeah I, I don't i don't get it i don't get it i've been i've been a critic of the all-star game for as long as i can remember and at this point get rid of it like at this point get rid of it name name your all-stars at the end of the at, at, at the end of the year as voted upon by whether it's the you know phwa or the or, or the league itself name your first team all-stars your second team all-stars blah 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 but forget the all-star game it's a joke it's a wasted wasted time um and it's just a reason for for you know t- players and families to get together and have a good time in whatever city they decide to host it in um but you know it is what it is i i won't watch it i don't care i i you know i had my opportunity to cover the game in nashville it was it was fun it was it, it was what it was. I got to talk to some some great players like Yager and and Subban and and whatever else. But um, the game itself was was a joke. Um, but anyways, regardless, like let's let's move on from that. Um, following the All Star All Star Game or All Star Weekend, whatever you want to call it, uh, the NHL will no longer be testing asymptomatic players. Uh, the only time they will be testing is cross border, obviously, and a player, if a player or or coach or staff member develops symptoms. Alex, what are your thoughts on this, especially following the All Star Weekend, where a ton of players are going to be getting together with other players and their families? Um, you know, I I think the one thing that makes me feel better about this whole thing is the fact that the players and the owners are all on the same page for it. It's not one of those things where the owners kind of just decided, you know what, fuck it, we need to make as much money as possible. Sorry, you guys aren't getting tested anymore. Um, We're just going to move forward with this. But realistically, I just, I, I think I feel a little more comfortable about it in the sense that over 60%, I think it was, I read a stat, it was like over 60% of the league has had COVID at this point. And, you know, they're all double vaccinated. And obviously the player's safety is the number one priority. And I I think the one thing that kind of tips the argument in the other direction, I know Forbes, you can relate to this. Like you said, you've got a little one at home that, um, you know, on the off chance, a player is asymptomatic, has it, doesn't know it, carries it home to their family, gets somebody like a potential, like one of their kids getting sick or somebody who's immunocompromised and, can't handle it or can't fight it the same way somebody else might be able to. That's the number one concern. But the way I look at it right now, I I, I think, I, I really think that it's just a matter of how everybody's feeling about it. And, you know, if the players are comfortable with it and the owners are comfortable with it, I know the NHL wants to stop postponing games and this is certainly one way to do it. Um, I think it's just one of those things we got to watch play out and see how it goes. And if, if shit starts to spiral out, spiral out of control again, obviously you can fall back on it and go back to testing players every day. But if they're all on the same page, I think as fans, we got to recognize that it's out of our control and just sort of hope for the best when it comes to it. So I, I think it brings on a bigger question because one, you know, I think it is, you mentioned Alex Spetz's comments on it and he said it's, you know, it's a step in the right direction. And I mentioned before we even hopped on here that um, 
you know, that I think eventually all of us are going to get it. I think it's just inevitable at this point, uh, vaxxed or not. Um, I think those that are vaxxed are going to get a little less. Uh, shout out Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, but uh, I do think that it is, it's a move the league has to make because, you know, they are postponing games. Um, they are, they are testing daily. They are, you know, holding players out because they test positive, maybe asymptomatic. But my question becomes now, at what point do you bring fans back in? Because right now the NHL is holding off on Canadian games or Canadian hosted games because of, you know, le- you know legislation that is, is stating that fans cannot be in the seats um, or, or a limited amount of fans can be in the seats. Um, you know, I know in Quebec right now, it's, it's total lockdown. They've got curfew. They, they are, they're even going to start checking vaccines at big box stores because that's where they're at. Um, obviously in Ontario, we're, we're going through uh, maybe a slightly less lockdown, I guess, but um so at what point, if this is the case with the NHL, at what point do does the NHL look to local governments to try and find a way to get people back in the seats? Peter. Well, so, sorry, go ahead. Peter. I, I was just going to say this. I mean, you're already seeing the fans in the States. They're, they're able to go in, and if they have a max, vaccine mandate with their code and pass or, or whatever, they're able to get in. Canada has a better vaccination rate than the United States. Ontario, I think, is at like 88%, five plus one dose. I don't understand how we can't go into a stadium with a vaccine passport saying that, you know, we're fully vaxxed. If you got a booster, great. If you don't, if you still got your two vaccines and your QR code, you're allowed to get it. I don't know what's so wrong to reward the people that have done everything right to this point. I, I, the challenge is to mandate the mask. You got to mandate the mask and that's going to be on the facility to do that. And they better do that because there were times in the games where fans were taking off their masks, even though that they were vaccinated, they were still taking it off and breaking the rules. They got to enforce the rules somehow in there that you got to keep your mask off. If you got to do what they did at the world juniors, don't, don't use concessions. Don't buy beer, don't buy food, whatever, keep your mask on. They got to do that fine. But at least if they're getting fans into the stadium, at least it's just one step in the right direction because if they have, if we, what was the whole point of our vaccine QR code vaccination? If we can't even go into a leaf game now, that's where I'm kind of at. If they're able to implement that and do it properly and still keep that in place, you can have fans back into the stadium again, safety first safety for the fans, players, everyone involved, but reward the people that have been doing everything right to this point. And if it means them showing their their code to get in, so be it. I don't I, I don't know what the issue is. Peter, here's here, here's the one thing I'll say about the concessions is, I mean that's where you're drawing most of your money when you're that when you're true. talking yeah. about mm-hmm. these these teams, and that's why I think right now local governments or or the NHL doesn't want teams to play in their in in their local sit or their home cities if you if they're Canadian because the concessions closing down means a major loss financially to the team, which hurts the cap, which in turn changes the longevity of how much the players owe the the owners, even though the owners are, you know, pockets are full, the bank accounts are full, whatever else. I think that's the biggest problem. And, And that's why the mask mandate 
hurts Canadian franchises at this point in time. Alex, you had something that you wanted to chime in with. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just I, I was just going to kind of piggyback onto Peter's point right there. I mean, it, it's tough because I don't know. It, it, I, I don't really know how to word this, to be completely honest. Um, it, it's from a fan standpoint, it, 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 it seems unfair to see how, you know, like Peter said, the ones that, are, that have been following the rules this whole time and the ones that, that went out and got vaccinated and the ones that have been staying home and masking up, they're the ones getting punished for um, the rising case count in Ontario and in Canada. And I'm obviously, I'm no epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to act like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to stuff like this, but you know, it, it does hurt as a fan, as a, as a Canadian fan to see, you know, games in the States being held full capacity. Fans are allowed in the building. You've got the, like, obviously you heard, Sheldon Keith said that the Colorado game, that building was the loudest one they've played in recent memory. And, you know, you look at how just a week before that, the Leafs were playing against the Edmonton Oilers at home with no fans in the stands. They played the Ottawa Senators the week before with no fans in the stands. And, you know, it just, I think at some point, you know, if the NHL's not testing asymptomatic players anymore, I get that this is apples and oranges, right? Excuse me, right here. But, I think at some point they got to look to the local governments and like try, I won't say twist their arm, but maybe try and point them in the direction of allowing fans back in the stands again, because truth be told, and like I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to speak on this topic. Like I know anything, take anything I say with a grain of salt, but I don't know how many cases that kind of kicked, kickstarted this, this latest lockdown in Ontario. I don't know how many cases were being traced back to Leafs games and senators games. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, you got to be fully vaccinated to go in there. It's just I understand the measure because you want to limit people gathering as much as possible. Exposure, yeah, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I just don't understand. I I feel like more people are getting hurt by not allowing fans in the stands than people are being saved. Uh, There there was news today about them trying to lift some restrictions in Ontario later this week. I'm Mm -hmm. not mentioning anyone by name because, you know, the, the way everything has been handled has just been a complete joke here. But... Yeah, uh, so maybe come next week, we may have more clarity if there are going to be some exceptions with games in terms of basketball and hockey in Ontario. So, yeah, just take it day by day at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes it hard when you're the Raptors and you're playing in front of no fans at home and then you go on the road and you're playing in front of fans. So, uh, you know, the Leafs and all the other Canadian teams that haven't really played at home in the last – what month and a half um, right. makes it tough on them as well. They're on the road families, obviously um, you know, they're missing families. I know they stopped back in between that. We saw it with Tavares and his kid shoveling the driveway the other day or, or yesterday or today, whatever it was. I'm, I, I've got my days mixed up, but um, I, it, it is tough. And, and being, being a fan and wanting to go to the game, it, it also makes it tough because we have followed the rules. Uh, me personally, full disclosure, I have both vaccinations. I have my booster. Um, I want to be able to enjoy the luxuries that I, I, I once was able to. And, uh, you know, and, and like you mentioned, Alex, I do have a little one. I have a, I have a little one who has a heart condition. So I do take things seriously. And I, I do think, um, I, I like to think that I, I, you know, follow direction as well as I can. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's gotta be some normalcy. There has to be some normalcy because, 
Um, if there isn't, I, I, I really don't know where this is going. And, and obviously that's a, that's a topic for another discussion. Um, but yeah, I mean, you want to talk about people that are getting affected, people that are losing their minds. Let's talk about the Edmonton Oilers and, and Jim Matheson. Um, <laughs> I guys like Jim Matheson has been covering the Edmonton Oilers since they, they entered the WHA in 1973. Okay. He's a hall of fame, uh, writer. Um, obviously has had, I, I can't imagine this is his first poor interaction with a player. Um, it's not, he, he had one with Miko Koskinen like four months ago. <laughs> that, that's right. Where he told him that nobody wants him in Edmonton. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but Leon Dreisaitl, maybe not the guy to do it with. Um, it, anyways, it was a wild exchange. Asked uh, Leon Dreisaitl a question basically about why the Oilers suck right now. Basically saying that everything's going wrong. What can they do right? And uh, Leon Dreisaitl just responded with, yeah, we need to, we need to work on everything. We need every, 100% of our, our game needs to change. And Matheson wasn't impressed with the uh, – with the answer and asked him why he's so pissy. So with that in mind, first of all, I think everyone needs to go listen to that clip because the, the, the exchange between the two was probably one of the most phenomenal things I've ever heard from a, like I have my master's in journalism. I would never, I would never have that interaction with somebody. Um, I mean, Alex, I, I went to school seeing Forbes and if uh, I ever asked a question, if a player was being pissy or not, you could rest assured that that team's going to revoke your pass and your credentials. No. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm shocked that they didn't or, or haven't yet. Um, but Alex, I mean, one of the more interesting parts of this exchange was that math Matheson threw out a follow-up question. Um, <laughs> what was, what was your takeaway from this whole situation? Okay, well, first I'm going to piggyback onto what you guys were saying. I am just wrapping up my, my, my time studying broadcasting at Niagara College. And I'll tell you right now that if I went into um, an interview and asked my subjects, why are you so pissy when they didn't give me the answer that I wanted, I would have failed right on the spot. That's like the number one thing it, when it comes to journalism ethics. You never alienate the person you're interviewing. And mm -hmm you don't single them out like that. You don't make them feel like you're ridiculing them. That's number. That's like the number one rule in ethics. And it's like, it's just the fact that Matheson didn't even try to hide it. You know, he wasn't asking a passive aggressive question. We've heard, you know, we've heard questions from Steve Simmons here in the past, and we've heard questions from the skip Baylesses of the world. Dave Feschuk. Dave Feschuk, another one. It's just, you know, you're not always, I think a big part about journalism asking is asking the tough questions, but asking a guy why he's so pissy is just peak on professionalism. And, yeah. you know, I'm obviously not trying to be out here criticizing the guy who's been, who's been writing and covering hockey since the 1980s on journalism, because Yes, he has been in the industry a lot longer than I have and a lot longer than a lot of the people who are criticizing him and have. But I think at the same time, you can look at that and identify objectively that it's, it's an unprofessional thing to say. And, you know, some people were taking or, uh, Matheson's side here saying that Dreisaitl was a little too short with, Math with Matheson. But that's because the clip that was going around, which was shared by Tim and Friends, only really showed that one question where Matheson asked him, Dreisaitl gave him a short answer, and then, you know, got asked to expand on it. And he said, well, no, you can expand on it because you know everything. 
right? And I think that was more Dreisaitl just kind of shedding light on the fact that Matheson is no stranger to these types of questions. He, he, we mentioned it right off the hop. He told Miko Koskinen in September that the fans in Edmonton did not want him as their goalie anymore. That's not a question you ask a player. I'm sorry. But either way, the point that I'm trying to get at is that I just don't understand – or sorry, uh, I, was, I was talking about the uh, – um, the fact that the clip was kind of flawed. The original press conference clip, Matheson had asked him like three questions up to that point that were all virtually the same question worded differently. And it was just over and over. Uh, Leon, what, uh, what, what do the Oilers need to do better? Why do they suck right now? Leon, why are you angry? Leon, why are you frustrated right now? What's making you frustrated about the Oilers? It's like, I don't know, maybe the fact that you're talking to a fucking heart winner and asking him as if he has any control in how bad the team is right now. The guy's leading the league in goals. He's, I'm pretty sure leading the league in points right now. So Doing his what job. else, what, yeah, what else can he do? How about you ask the guy you signed Duncan Keith to a $5 million contract? guy who signed Mike Smith to a multi-year extension and yes Jim multi means two plus years like I don't know if you guys remember that but I do I do look at look it up okay good good um (laughs) but yeah why don't you ask the guy who built the team around McDavid over these past couple years the guy who built the team around Drysdale ask them why the team is so shitty don't get short with one of the team's top players and ask him why he got so pissy why he got so like that, that, I I can't get over how unprofessional that was. I was having a good laugh at that all day. Like, you know, like we we were we all come from journalism backgrounds here. It's like that's just that that's like the number one thing you don't say to a player. It's all about integrity, and there just was no integrity there. Like there was no there was no decorum. There was no there wasn't anything with that, and. Even if like Dreisaitl didn't answer the question properly, obviously I'm not going to say, why are you being so pissy? I would have just said, okay, you know what? You didn't answer my question, whatever. What, what's wrong with just moving on and not try and antagonize something and escalate a situation that doesn't need to be warranted at all? Peter, one of the things that I've learned from uh, covering hockey the last, I don't know, eight or nine years um, is that, what happens with players after games, especially losses that they're very, they're very emotional. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you're coming off a loss. And in dry settles case, you're talking about a player who hasn't seen a win in over 30 days. They've had two wins in their last 15 games. Um, and now you're throwing at them, as Alex mentioned, multiple questions about what the team's doing wrong. Why, why can't they win a game? Um, yada 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 what you know why are you so frustrated why like there was at a certain point he's 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 looking for for he's baiting him he's baiting him is what he's Mm -hmm. doing because it's not about asking the tough question you can ask the tough question if you you might not get the answer you're looking for and if you don't get the quote that you're looking for you leave it at that yeah it's simple as that like it just at that point it just Matheson was baiting him for to try and push him over the edge, and Drysaddle, to his to his credit, actually held his own pretty well and didn't didn't bite. He didn't bite, and mm-hmm. that that I mean that was key because that could have, that could have turned out a lot worse. And let, let me let me just throw a one. Sorry to interrupt for us. No, let me okay. just point. Let me, I want to throw one more point out there that you you kind of briefly touched on there. It's about integrity, and he, you're right. He was trying to bait Drysaddle. 
And that's like, aside from the whole pissy remark, this is this one line from that whole exchange is the one is the main reason why I would never back Matheson in this situation is because when Leon Dreisaitl said, or he, when, when Leon Dreisaitl basically gave him that exchange, he said, oh, well, whatever. I gave you an answer. Matheson says, well, it wasn't a good one. It's like, well, no shit, dude. Do you think this fucking guy is getting paid to give you good answers? He no. got defensive. He got really he got, defensive to yeah, try and back he, he up his co- original question. Exactly. And it's like, Jim, Jim, this story's not about you, dude. It, like, you don't make the story about yourself. He, he goes out point, there. Yes. Sorry, to, for, to no, further that point, um, not only did you not get a good, like, good enough answer from, from your standards, but don't ever count on getting a good answer out of Leon Dreisaitl ever again. So you, you <laughs> like, in all honesty, you've buried your career unless you're, you're going off of questions asked by other, other reporters, you better hide yourself in the corner of that press room or, or don't, don't show your picture on the zoom call. I don't, I don't know what they're doing right now in terms of um, media at games, but don't show your face because you're not going to get the answers you want anymore. You, you burned a bridge. It's the same as any job that you ever work in. You don't burn your bridges. The, the, the way that you build your career is on the quotes of, of players on um, the integrity that you've carried over those years. You have burned every little bit that you had with Leon Dreisettle. And I can guarantee you that Leon Dreisettle is going to go back in that room. He's going to talk to McDavy and uh, like that's going to get around that room. Nobody's going to want to talk to this guy. It was the same when Phil, Phil Kessel called Dave Fezchuk an idiot. Um, Matthews with Simmons in the COVID case. Exactly. Exactly. And do you think Matthews ever wants to answer a question by Steve Simmons? I, he said I, I himself in that it. interview. I, I, it's unfortunate I'm even getting a question from me here, Steve. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so, I mean, it, it is what it is. Like, Hall of Famer and Hot, I think, uh, I think what Matheson did was just – it was Bush League. It was Bush League. Um, mm-hmm. to, to bait somebody like stupid. that is just absolutely stupid. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, hey – Leon, anytime you want to come on the show, we'll we'll have you. We won't ask you this stupid question. We won't call you pissy. Come on, come on, sticks in the six. Yeah, we're we're relief fans, but we'll we'll, we'll be nice to you. We'll, we'll take you. We'll take you. We respect you as a player, man. You're 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 good at what you do. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, I'm joking. He, no, no, no. He he's he's been phenomenal. I mean, like, let's call spade a spade. The emotions are high, guys. Like, yeah. At the end of the day, the emotions are high. This guy's coming off another loss. The, the Edmonton Oilers were, were projected to win a cup in the next five years, and it's not going to happen. Um, when two players I, are getting close to 100 points and no one else is. I'd, I'd be pissed. I'd be yeah. pissed. And you're, you're allowed to be that. This game is all about emotion. Anybody that says that sport is not about emotion, it, they're 100% wrong. And all, all Dreisaitl did was, was show his emotion. You could see it when he shook his head at the question in the first place. Like Clearly, he had been asked this question multiple times. He just – he didn't want to answer. Nothing's enough. He's, he's entitled to that. Anyways, Jim Matheson, have a, have a hell of a remainder of your career because you're not getting anything out of Leon Dreisaitl while he's in Edmonton. But, uh, boys, anyways, 67, 1967, last time the Leafs won the Cup. 67. 67, yeah. Uh, we're we're going to hear it multiple times over the next many years, I'm sure. I hope to hell that we're still doing this, uh, you know, 
episode 543, we're still talking about 1967. Hopefully not, but even if they win the cup, even if they win the cup, sorry, Alex. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say, even if we win the cup, they're they're still going to chirp 67. He's not going to be good enough. I hope they don't, because I'll write back and be like, 2022, bitch. Ooh. <laughs> Look at that bold take. Ooh, I was going to say, imagine Ooh. if we're still talking about this on on the actual episode <laughs> 1,967 of Six in the Six. Literal episode uh, 1967. I, I wouldn't know what to do. I Forbes, know what to Forbes do. is sitting in a wheelchair. Peter's, Peter's got a walker. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, sitting be season with, 50. I'm sitting here with an oxygen tank behind me. <laughs> season 50 of Six in the Six. Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah, that'll be something oh, else. Man. Um, but boys, before we close it out, anything, anything you wanted to share with our listeners? No, I've got it. Well, I mean, I've got a piece. I've got a, hopefully a couple of pieces coming out this week. I'm looking to do a little more in-depth look at Matthew Nyes and uh, Nick Abrazesi representing Team USA at the Olympics. And I'm also looking to do a piece on Jake Muzzin this week. And, uh, you know, as much as I love Jake Muzzin, this piece might not be one that fans are ready to uh, intake, but hopefully it creates some good discussion. Don't read it, Brantford, Ontario, because they will not be happy. Um, <laughs> Peter, Peter, what do you got for our listeners? Um, two out of my three prospect pieces have come out. Every team's top prospect in the top 100. Forbes, thank you for being a part of that. Really do Absolutely. appreciate that with all the profiles that you did. And um, the final one of the farm systems is coming out next week. Um, finish that up. Just going to be doing a lot of edits for another 10,000 worder. And uh, looking at a mock draft and possibly a leaf piece. I don't know. Maybe. We'll there see. You go. There you go, folks. Lots <laughs> of shit coming out over at the Hot Graders. Maple Leafs related, prospects related. As I mentioned, tomorrow, tomorrow. So I'm talking, I'm talking Wednesday morning, Jack Campbell, should his struggles define his next contract with the Leafs. Uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, as always, guys. Episode 67, another another great episode in the books. Um, unfortunately, you guys are stuck with me for a little while. I didn't get the uh, Habs GM job, but uh, I'm happy to jump on with you guys every week. And as damn always, it. <laughs> damn it. I was going to say, if you were named GM of the Habs, like I, th- I would think we would still keep the podcast going, wouldn't we? Oh, you absolutely. Make a, you make a big blockbuster trade for the Habs at the deadline, immediately jump on sticks in the six and discuss your own move. I just have, I, would, I would just have like a Carey Price uh, jersey in the background instead, sitting in my office in Montreal. We'd have to do it in French probably too. So I don't know about that. I don't know if my French is that good, but. Oh, man. <laughs> Anyways, but take it French since grade nine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, anyways, guys, you can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes, or you can follow Alex at a Hobson Media. Follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Head over to iHeartRadio or Spotify iTunes, Apple Music, wherever you download your podcasts. We are on iHeartRadio, though, now, which is big news for us. Um, download our episodes, listen, comment, jump on Twitter, let us know what you think. Head over to uh, YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and check out all the content that we have going over there. And as always, big shout out to Ryan Zeus Fleming for our intro. He does a great job. Um, otherwise, guys, subscribe. Tune in every week. We're happy to have you. We're happy to hear what you have to say. And we love talking leaf talk until next time. Episode 68 next week, boys. It's been a good one. See you next week.